0: It's good to see you all uh, this morning. Um, before we jump in, once again, just want to welcome you for, for being here. Thank you so much for, for taking time out of your Sunday to come and worship and, and hear from God's word. And if you're watching us online, again, thank you so much for being here uh, and taking the time to do that as well. I believe this. I believe that God wants to speak to you today. I believe that there's something in the scriptures, there's something that's gonna happen that God, maybe it already has, maybe there's something that's already gripped your heart, gripped your mind, but but that God wants to speak to you today and I pray that you're listening. I pray that you're listening so we can hear what God has for us. Also, I believe this, I believe that God wants to speak through you. I think that God wants to use you to bless somebody else today. So God wants to speak to you, God wants to speak through you. Um, before we, we jump in, want to reiterate something that happened uh, last week, kind of a big deal, um, but we announced that we've, uh, we've signed a purchase agreement for the purchase of this building, um, so we're pretty stoked about that. That's pretty awesome, right? Uh, pro. Yes. waiver, Yeah um that uh, that needs to in order to move forward with that though we need a, a vote of the members of ignite and so that's coming up a week from today at, at 2 pm there's going to be a vote uh, for the membership to to uh, see if we will move forward with that but before that want to have some informational meetings so you can ask questions here about the amazing things that God is doing and, and how he worked this out it's pretty incredible um, we have uh, we have a uh, informational meeting today um, in screen one at 4 pm. Uh, Tomorrow, we'll have one at 6.30 over Zoom, um, because I don't know if you've heard of this thing called Zoom, uh, but it's pretty, uh, it's newfangled, and I'm sure nobody's sick of it, but uh, we get to do that too for people who can't make it, so there'll be a Zoom meeting at 6.30, and then Tuesday night at 6.30 back in person here as well, so anybody's welcome to come to those things, hear what God's doing, ask your questions, um, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, we are going to continue now into our sermon series in the book of Matthew, and what we've been seeing through chapters 10 through 12 specifically, we're in chapter 12 today, getting towards the end of that, but, but 10 through 12 specifically is about people's responses to Jesus. Jesus. Okay, so in Matthew's chapter one through four, we see that Jesus is a king, and Jesus is a king like no other. In chapters five through seven, we see that he has a kingdom, and his kingdom is remarkable and is like no other. In chapters eight and nine, we get to see that this king and this kingdom has come and is available to all people in all places, regardless of where we've come from. Anybody can become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven if we submit our lives to Jesus. Pretty amazing. And so in chapters ten through twelve, we start seeing the responses to this king and this kingdom and this invitation. And some people are all for it. They're they're very much uh, kingdom of God. And other people uh, are on the fence and still trying to figure things out. And others still are rejecting it. And what we've seen um, over the last week yesterday, or last Sunday, seems like yesterday. Uh, Last week, uh, we saw how Jesus was talking about how a tree is known by its fruit, talking about your heart and the condition of your heart. And your heart condition really does indicate and dictate... how the receptive you are going to be to God and so he says he says, you know a good tree bears good fruit, a bad tree bears bad fruit um, Jesus is in the business of giving clean hearts and new hearts he he cleanses us and he also gives us new hearts and he was talking about that in contrast to the teachings of the religious leaders of that day uh, specifically in this in this uh, time is about the uh, teachings and the life of the Pharisees and he was talking about how um, Don't be like the Pharisees because they are trying to set up their own rival kingdom. They say that they're worshiping God, but really they're about themselves. And really what they're doing is they're setting up their own kingdom. And he gets to this point, and this is the the big big idea for today is this. Self-exaltation leaves no room for God. Self-exaltation leaves no room for God. If you are so busy building yourself up, building just how amazing you are with your own kingdom and your own life, and listen, you have no room for God if, you, if it's all about yourself, if it's all about you, if it's about self-righteousness, if it's about pride, if it's about arrogance, you have no room in your life for God because you're so much about yourself. And when you exalt yourself, you exalt yourself to a place of, uh, of being the ruler of your own kingdom, Okay? And, and let me tell you from experience, from building my own kingdom, it's awful. Our kingdoms are not nearly as good, nearly as gracious, nearly as merciful, nearly as generous as the kingdom of heaven. And so, if we're going to be about ourselves and it's self exaltation, and that's what the Pharisees were really about um, through what we see on the side, it's about making much of themselves and coming up with their own rules that they could follow and looking down with great disgust and disdain on everybody else, saying, Well, you just couldn't do that, so you're less than. And Jesus has a hard time with this. Jesus has a hard time with this because it's a rival kingdom to the kingdom of heaven and these, these Pharisees are leading people astray, leading them to their own destruction and Jesus does not like that. And so we're going to pick it up um, again today in Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 38. What we're going to see is Jesus is talking with the Pharisees in a new group that we're going to see today uh, called the scribes. So they're available and uh, hanging out with the Pharisees. Uh, and what we're going to see, really what happens is when you set up your own kingdom and you're exalting yourself, you have some dangerously flawed thinking. Okay? You have some dangerously flawed thinking. Verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. So we know about the Pharisees a little bit, and we see these scribes now. So the Pharisees, they're religious leaders. Uh, The word Pharisee means set apart, okay? They they prided themselves of being different and, in in their own estimation, better than everybody else around them. They were self-righteous. And they were very prideful and arrogant. And they set up all of these rules. They they had a lot of political sway. They had a lot of religious sway. They had a lot of clout in the communities. They could kick people out of churches and do all that kind of stuff. And they really just liked to be about themselves. The scribes are also this group of people. These these people are the experts in the law. They were the ones who studied the law, including the biblical laws and the laws of the Pharisees. And so they were all, they were jots and tittles, note takers. They were, they were honed in, they were scribes, they were experts in the law in their own estimation. And the scribes and the Pharisees, upon hearing the the teachings on the tree and its fruit, they go, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Now, what's amazing is this, is that the Pharisees have already seen signs. Jesus has already done signs. You know, small ones like casting out demons and healing people. You know, just little ones. I mean, not, not like being able to hit both green lights on the diverging diamond out here when you exit off in 94. That's amazing, isn't it? If you can hit them all, it's incredible. You just feel like you, you can feel like you conquer the world. Just like all green lights on the way and it's going to be a good day, Right? So nothing big like that, just small ones, like casting out a demon, healing somebody, you know. So they've already seen signs. And so it's not about, see, for them, it's not about seeing a sign so that they could believe. It's about trying to conjure up, you know, Jesus or, or goad him into doing something that's going to screw up so that they can destroy him. That's what they want to do. They're looking for ways in which they can destroy him. They've already made a plan to try to destroy him. They've already said that his works, he did some pretty amazing works, and they're like, "Ah, but he did it by the prince of demons. He's satanic. That's why he's doing it. So they've already credited power away from God and to Satan. It's not that they want to see signs. Listen, there's a bunch of people in the Bible, you're going to see this with interactions with Jesus, is that, that people are going to come up and they're going to ask Jesus to do something heal them, heal, you know, a sign, these different kinds of things. And sometimes Jesus will say yes. A lot of times Jesus says yes. But to these Pharisees, these arrogant, self-righteous, prideful leaders, what's he going to say to them? Because they're like, we wish to see a sign from you. This idea that wish, I love that. We've decided that it's important for us that you amuse me. Show us a sign, Jesus. We wish to see a sign from you. Right? I mean like it's just so arrogant. They says just we wish to see a sign from you. Clearly it's evident that these people believe that they are above Jesus. They are, after all, Pharisees. They all follow their own laws and rules, and they figure that because they can do that, that they've set their own bar, that they can achieve, that they're better than everybody, including Jesus, who is, oh yeah, God in the flesh. And they're like, yeah, just show us a sign or something, will you, Jesus? It's unbelievable. So Jesus is going to respond to them. He's going to teach them and show them in this moment. He's going to call them out on their stuff, but he's also going to show them what is a proper response and a proper uh, way of interacting with God. Verse 39 through 41. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the, in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Okay, we're going to break that down a little bit. They're like, we want to see a sign. And he's like, of course you do. You're wicked and unfaithful. Oh, okay. Right? He goes, an evil and adulterous generation, an evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign. You're not looking to believe. You're just wicked and you're unfaithful. These are harsh words. Do you guys ever picture Jesus saying harsh words? Or do you just like picture him walking around petting a lamb? Do you just, just look at walking around just hanging out Jesus? But he's got, he's got harsh things to say sometimes. He's got harsh things to say. He's, he's saying that they're wicked, they're worthless and they're unfaithful. Jesus is not passive in this. Why? Because the Pharisees are setting up a rival kingdom against the kingdom of heaven and leading people to their own destruction. And Jesus doesn't like that. He doesn't like to see his creation be led into destruction. And so, out of protection for the people, he's calling out the Pharisees. He's like, You're wicked, evil, worthless, and unfaithful. Jesus says, You want a sign? Here's the one you get the sign of Jonah. That's an interesting statement. In case you guys don't know who Jonah is, Jonah is a prophet of God. He has a book in the Old Testament. It's in the first two-thirds of your Bible. Jonah is in there. He's a prophet of God, and the book bears his name. So there's the book of Jonah. It's a very short book. It's four chapters long. Okay? And so God comes up to Jonah and says, Jonah, I need you to go and I want you to speak against the city of Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria, enemy country to Israel. The, the people of Nineveh were wicked and did awful things and tortured people and did all kinds of nasty stuff. And Jonah, God says, Jonah, you need to go and tell Nineveh about their sin. And Jonah says, hey, cool, I'm going to go the other way. Thanks for the invite, but I'm actually gonna go to Tarshish, which is in the exact opposite direction. So God says, Go here. He's like, No thanks, I'm gonna go here. So he goes that way, gets on a boat, running away from God. God sends a storm upon the sea, and it's ripping the boat apart. Jonah finally realizes that the reason the storm is happening is because of him. And so he goes to the crew of the boat and says, Hey, listen. I need you to do something if you guys want to live. And that is, I need you to throw me off of this boat. And they're like, but you'll die. And they're like, he's like, yeah, but this is because of me. And the boat crew's like, all right, well, God, we just don't hold us guilty for this. And they chuck him overboard, right? It's an interesting story. I'm paraphrasing, but really not even that much. (laughs) And the storm goes away and a fish comes along and swallows up Jonah and he's inside this fish miraculously for 3 days alive. And when he's in there, he repents. He says, "God, you know what? I've sinned against you. I've ran away from you. I did what I did the exact opposite of you want me to do and and I I'm, I'm going to pray for your mercy." God says, mercy granted, brings him over to the shore, fish spits him out. He goes up and he preaches against the city of Nineveh, walks up to Nineveh and says, hey, you guys are doing so much wrong. You are so wicked in so many ways and here's why. And the people of Nineveh heard the message of Jonah and said, oh man, you are right. We are awful people. We've done terrible things. We need to repent of this. We need to say we're sorry to God. We need to turn from our wickedness. We need to put sackcloth and ashes. We need to get down. We need to pray. We need to worship God. And we need to say we are sorry to the God of the universe for acting so corruptly and so wickedly. And God forgives them. But this is the people of Assyria. This is the enemies of Israel. And what's interesting about this, Jesus says, hey, listen, the people of Nineveh, responded properly with repentance of the message of God. They, they turned from their wickedness. And he said, at the end, in the judgment of God, the people of Nineveh will rise up and condemn this people. Which means the people of Nineveh are part of the kingdom of heaven and the religious leaders are not. Whoa. That's what Jesus said in that moment. Like, all these people, the, those people that you think that those people are? Yeah, they're part of the kingdom. You are not. In fact, they're going to stand up and condemn it because they responded to the message of Jonah. And someone greater than Jonah is here. And he says, here's the sign. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. I'm going to be in the heart of the earth for three days. It's one of the first time we see Jesus call his resurrection. Saying, you know what? This is the sign. You want a sign? I'm going to die and then rise from the dead. Three days later, I'm going to be buried and then I'm going to rise again. You want a sign? That's your sign. But the people of Nineveh acknowledged their own sinfulness, repented, which means turn away from and think differently than what they were, and they asked God for mercy and God gave them mercy. The Pharisees have not seen any need for mercy in their own life because they can follow their own rules. Jesus is gonna double down now. Like he's already got their attention with this response like, oh, the men of Nineveh are a part of this and I'm okay. Then he goes on talking about people's attitudes. Verse 42 The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The queen of the south is the queen of Sheba. She's found in first kings. She's from a foreign land. And she hears about Israel's third king, Solomon. He's the son of David. And Solomon is the wisest man who's ever lived. God visited him in a dream and said, Solomon, what do you want? And he said, I want wisdom. And he's like, good answer, and gives him a whole bunch of it. And because Solomon ruled wisely, in his early years especially, because he ruled wisely, the nation flourished. And the renown of the men of Israel and the women of Israel and the wealth of Israel started to spread. And under this leadership, a guy named Solomon, they're like, he's the wisest man who's ever lived. The queen of Sheba in a far south land comes up and says, I got to hear about this. So she comes and listens. She goes, Solomon, let's just talk. Like, tell me things. I don't know exactly what the conversation went, but have you ever been with a wise person before? And you're like, would you just tell me stuff? I've done that before i like, I lack wisdom. Like, what do you want to know? I'm like, I don't know. You know more than I do. Would you just tell me things? Sure. And so, Sheba, the Queen of Sheba comes up. She listens to Solomon. They have a conversation, and, and the Queen of Sheba goes, Half of what was told, like, there's, I wasn't even told the half of it. I thought it was amazing. I knew that things were amazing. It is double what I, the reports that I've been told. This is incredible. Your people, the people that you lead, must be so blessed. Must be so blessed. She came humbly. And because she came humbly, she was blessed by the wisdom of God, which led her into joy. And he said, the queen of Sheba, the queen of the south, who's, who's from a far distant land, way removed from Israel... The nation, the borders of Israel, the way, way removed from that, the queen of Sheba, she would come from a distant land and come all this way just to sit under the wisdom of God. And you know what? Because she humbled herself, she's part of the kingdom of heaven, and you are not. He said the queen of Sheba, the queen of the south, will rise up on that day and condemn this generation, condemn this group. He goes, she traveled thousands of miles on Solomon, and something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Solomon is here, saying, I'm greater than Solomon. And he said, I'm greater than Jonah. Here's something really cool, and I I didn't see it until this week when I was studying and and preparing this message. I saw it in the ESV study Bible and study notes. But they pointed out something that I had missed, and I've read this, a bunch of times, and I missed it, and I was like, when I learned it, I was like, blew my mind straight out my skull. It was incredible. At the beginning of chapter 12, which is what we're in, the beginning of chapter 12, Jesus has an interaction with the Pharisees about the Sabbath, and they talked about the temple, and he said, something greater than the temple is here. And then he says, something greater than Jonah is is here. And then he says, something greater than Solomon is here. In the Old Testament, there were three institutions that God put into place. He put in place one, a king. The office of king was there to lead the people in the ways and methods of God. That was the king's job, was to lead the people well. The second one was the priest. And the priest's job was to deal with the sins of the people. So when people would sin because we have hearts that wander astray, they were the ones to offer sacrifice. They were the ones to intercede for the people. They were to offer up prayers. They were to be ever before in the temple, worshiping and bringing forth, interceding for the people. That was the priest's job, to deal with the sin of the people. The third role was that of the prophet. And the prophet's job was to call people to faithfulness. Over and over and over again, you see in the prophets of the Old Testament, they would come in and they would call people to faithfulness okay it was the prophet it was the priest and it was the king those three were the were the offices that god established in the old testament and jesus now in chapter 12 says i'm a greater priest i'm a greater prophet and i'm a greater king You see, all of the Old Testament was communicating something to us. They were signs communicating to us that one day that the Messiah would come and he would be the fullest expression of all of these things. The prophet, to call people to faithfulness. The priest, to take care of the sins of the people, which Jesus did by way of the cross. And the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, to lead us into the kingdom. Jesus says, I'm the greater prophet, I'm the greater priest, I'm the greater king. And something greater than all of those things was in their midst, God in the flesh, and they were missing him. And why did they miss him? Because they were too busy building their own kingdoms. They were too busy building their own kingdoms and the prophet and the priest and the king were a shadow of the things to come. And Jesus is the substance. We have one who serves as our high priest, Jesus, ever interceding for us, praying for us, and forgiving us our sin because he went to the cross himself. He is both just just, and justifier. We have King Jesus leading us in this way. You know, the paths of righteousness and goodness. He called us to faithfulness. Know that God is always communicating something about his heart something about his kingdom, and something about himself. Even in the establishment of these offices, he's like, but they're one who is to come. And it blew me away. But we'll miss it. We'll miss it if it's about exalting ourselves because self-exaltation leaves no room for God. Leaves no room for God. And the people that that the Pharisees would have have, um, said, those people, the Ninevites, the Queen of the South, those people, They weren't righteous like the way that they viewed themselves. And he's like, how dare Jesus say that God says the Ninevites that repented are a part of the kingdom and we are not, how dare he? Do you guys know why Jonah ran away? It says so in the end of the book. Jonah ran away, not because he was scared to go to Nineveh. Jonah ran away because he knew that if the Ninevites repented, God would forgive them. That's why Jonah ran. He didn't want mercy for the Ninevites, he wanted judgment. And he goes, if I go and I preach and they repent, God's going to forgive them and I don't want to do that. And that was revealed in Jonah's heart and God looks and he goes, listen, the Ninevites, he goes, they don't know their right hand from their left and they're people. They're more valuable than the tree that you're sitting under. Because God loves people and he wants all of them to come to be a part of his family and be adopted. And how does that happen? We get to see this in this response by both the Ninevites and the Queen of the South. They come with humility and repenting and teaching. And, and they are led into, into being a part of this family because they're humble. They recognize that they're sinners. And they say, God have mercy on us. And God is Merciful. And the queen of the south was humble. And she came and she sat under God's wisdom and she was blessed. The Ninevites were part of a greater kingdom because they repented. And the queen of Sheba, she's there because she was humble and And surrendered her life to God. And it led them both to deeper and greater joy. It led them into joy. Into the presence of the almighty God. And don't we all need joy today? It's been a long year. It's been a long time. And we have all suffered and we've all been tried and we're all tired and we're all confused and we're all just hoping for something. And Jesus offers joy. And here's the amazing thing, Jesus offers joy in the middle of our circumstances In the middle of your pain, in the middle of your confusion, in the middle of everything, Jesus offers joy. Joy in his presence. And here's another amazing thing. This joy is eternal. And for those of us who turn to Jesus, we will be welcomed into a kingdom of eternal joy and rest. And that the troubles that we are facing now are light and momentary in comparison to the beauty and the joy of God's kingdom. So whatever you're going through right now, know that Jesus offers joy today and peace with him eternally, and I pray, I pray that each and every one of you would turn to Jesus instead of relying on building your own kingdom. Let us be a humble people, and let us be a joyful people, and then let us take that joy within this humility and go share it with other people. Because that's what God calls us to, church. He calls us to share the joy of Christ with others. So let us be that people that are about God's kingdom and not about building our own. Let's pray.